Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we're reviewing a doozy. A modern classic? An unparalleled vision of the future? Okay, Jamie. Jamie, Flash I know pass. this. Okay, you can stop now. This was your pick. It's so right. Why don't you Jamie's tell us? I'm, I'm, I think you're already maybe uh, burying the lead there as to why you picked it. So why don't you tell us what, we, what we've got here? We are reviewing the 2013 modern classic Pacific Rim, uh, directed by Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. I can't say his name. And I don't have that name in front of me. Travis Beecher? Travis something. A Travis guy wrote the, <laughs> wrote the screenplay. <laughs> no, and Travis. And it's starring Idris Elba and a bunch of other people. <laughs> yes. Well... Before we uh, get into our Jaegers and go battle the Kaiju, I think we need to keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. Okay, Jamie, you're leading out the gate with the keeping it 100. What do you have for us this week? Okay, um, this week um, I'm going way back in time to 1968 to the original Thomas Crown Affair. Um, I had, I had never seen it and I just, I was scrolling through like recommended things on Amazon prime, like things that were in prime I could watch for free. And I saw that. I'm like, you know, I haven't watched a lot of Steve McQueen. I'll check this out. It was a blast. It's weird. It's a weird movie for 1968, which was a pretty weird year in movies. Um, it's weirdly paced. I don't know. What, sometimes there's a couple of things. I don't know like how unhinged Steve McQueen was supposed to be, <laughs> but it was a blast. The the heist is really clever and strange. Like it's the strange. I think one of the strangest heists I've ever seen. I, I would never have thought of it, that being a thing you could do for a heist and it work. Um, the 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 climax and the resolution are top notch. Um, the pacing is slow. It's going to be. I mean, for a lot of modern movie fans, it's it's going to be tough because of the pacing. But it still maintains a sort of tense tone even when the pacing slows down. It's got an interesting atmosphere throughout. And Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway are both amazing in this movie. Uh, it's worth your time, and it's free on Amazon right now. The Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah. Well, now that is a classic. Uh, I'll get behind you with that. Uh, Thomas Crown's great, and I love, love a good heist movie. Uh, you, you can't go wrong with me. If you'll pitch me a good heist movie, I'm, I'm all on board. Oh, um, yeah. I'm next on the Keeping 100, and mine is decidedly not a heist movie. So, uh, I initially had something off of Hulu picked out, but as I was watching this movie, an actor just leapt out from the screen and I said, that voice, I know that voice. So I'm pitching the Lego movie, uh, <laughs> Lego movie number one. Um, it was so imaginative that when I first saw it, I didn't quite know what we were looking at. And, and after revisiting it, I've just fallen in love with it more and more. It was so imaginative, so creative. Uh, part two is not quite as good, but I'll tell you, you cannot go wrong with part one. Uh, Will Ferrell, the, uh, you know, Chris Pratt, uh, Elizabeth Banks, uh, Batman um, is in there. So, yeah, the, the Lego movie, uh, it was so much fun. I can't recommend it enough. I love that movie, and it's got no right to be good at all. Oh I mean, no, no, <laughs> absolutely none, absolutely none. But it's, it's. I mean, it's so clever the conceit of that movie and and how things are blended. It's so clever and and well done. And and it pulls in that whole history of Lego. I mean, back when you know even we were kids and what how Legos changed from you know even when we were young to today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's an, an interesting one. All right, so I guess I'm going to finish this out, and uh, I have a new podcast I'm pitching, um, and it, it's a podcast slash dramatic audio. Um, King Kirby is produced and written by husband and wife duo Crystal Skillman and Fred Van Linte. Uh, there have been two episodes released so far, and I've really enjoyed both. Uh, this is original. The original concept was actually a stage play dealing with the life of Jack the King Kirby. Um, it was published then as a novel in 2014, and now they've turned it into a podcast. Um, so you've got weekly chapters. Uh, like I said, two have come out. Do keep in mind there's some language because this is 
thirties, New York. So you're going to hear some stuff, um, you know, but just hearing the actor playing Victor Fox walk around yelling, I am the king of comics was just so cool. Cause that's just something I've always wanted to imagine in my head makes me laugh. Uh, obviously this is my sweet spot in comic book history. Um, there's even some great speculation on Stan's role in the early days of Simon and Kirby's life. So uh, it should be pretty interesting. So if you check it out, King Kirby on your podcatcher of choice. All right. Well, uh, now it's time for our opening thoughts and grades, and I'm leading off with this one. Guys, I got to tell you, this was a first watch uh, of this movie for me. I, I can't believe I had missed it. It had always kind of been uh, leering in the background. I know Jamie has always held this movie uh, over my head in high esteem. You got to watch it, got to watch it, got to watch it. And it just one of those things that never made its way to the player. So when we, uh, you know, put this on the schedule, I was I was really intrigued. Now, I love Mick. I've always loved mechs back from, you know, the, the, um, the, what was it, the Voltrons and, and the Robotechs, Mech Warriors, uh, you know, even when the G.I. Joe had the mech suits, you had the mechs, uh, you know, that were interacting with the Transformers in the, in the old cartoon there, you know, when they had the characters, uh, the human characters there. Uh, but I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the Godzilla movies, but I always kind of dug them. But this movie just never made its way in. And I'm going to tell you something. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, this movie really struck me in a couple of different ways. I wasn't quite expecting the, the depth of relationship uh, that, that it gave some of the characters uh, where uh, it's like, you know, it wasn't really thick on the lore. It really was, uh, you know, not too heavy on the story. There's a lot of action, a lot of fighting, a lot of tension. Uh, but it was really fun. I'm giving this thing a B plus. Almost a territory, so I'm going to do a B plus. I really had a blast watching it, and uh, and I've watched it twice this week, and I'm really wanting to visit it again. All right, very nice, very nice. So, so you know, the way I look at Pacific Rim, this is a Reese Cup movie, right? It's the best of both worlds. It's chocolate and peanut butter. It's mix and kaiju. You you just can't go wrong. Um, you know, growing <laughs> up, I loved Godzilla movies and King Kong movies. Uh, similar to Dwayne, those IPs like Transformers and Voltron and Robotech were always there. And Pacific Rim is the best of both worlds. Like I said, it's a Reese Cup, peoples. Um, you know, obviously, you don't need all portions of your brain to watch this movie, but it's just great. You just love it, right? I mean, it's kaiju versus big honking mix. I'm in. That's all I need, okay? Um, and even the fact that they categorize the kaiju by the Sarazawa scale, which my old Godzilla radar went up, and I loved it. Uh, Dr. Sarazawa was the scientist from the original Godzilla that uh, helped them defeat mm -hmm. Gojira the first time around. Uh, so I love that little callback. Uh, so grade for me, A, flat out A. Um, okay, so you remember when we had Jim Pajarillo on, we did The Warriors? Uh-huh. And he, he just admitted he wasn't able to be objective, that it was a movie he loved, despite, you know, whatever flaws it had. Uh, this is probably my The Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the, the acting is really stylized. It's a, it's a machismo fest. And, and, in some ways, like, you know, Charlie Hunnam's doing an 80s action movie type character. Yeah. Um, Idris Elba's doing a sort of stylized performance. Um, and if you, you know, not if you were to guess that on the first watch, I mean, it took me a minute to figure out like, what is Idris Elba doing <laughs> in this movie? It took me a minute the first time I watched it. Um, the world building is interesting, even if it's not explained or doesn't bear on deep reflection. Like the whole thing with the, with the drifting, like, what's that about? You know, it's, it's, it's thought provoking. They don't dwell on it. <laughs> Just explain it, move on. Uh, but it looks great. Uh, it looks so good. Um, the action is amazing. I love every battle in it. Um, I love the design of the Jaegers and the Kaiju. They're, they're all, all of them are unique and interesting. Um, I love that there's always stakes. Uh, like, <laughs> the fate of the world hangs on every punch that's thrown, you know? Um, 
and it just kind of keep, keeps me on the edge of my seat because of that. Like there's and there's big emotional stakes. What's going on with, you know, Mako and uh, Swagger McSwagger face? I mean, there's I mean, you care about these people a little bit, you know. I mean, it's not just the big mix and the monsters. You make you make you care about the people. There are flaws. Granted, uh, not every before not every performance is a classic. Um, I think there are a couple of missing scenes that explain some important bits that we needed. <laughs> None of those things bother me in the slightest. This is an A plus for me. <laughs> I love this movie. Yeah, with, with the exception of the one Russian, you know, poor Mako was kind of in the middle of all that machismo. <laughs> yeah, the Russian lady brought her own machismo. Yeah, she, yeah, she, I was she, say, a, she didn't lack a lot. Yeah, she had machismo herself. So, <laughs> yeah, but this was, uh, you know, a lot more. Uh, you know, a lot more fun than I was expecting it was going to be. Now, Sam, you uh, referred to the uh, the scale there where they yes, decided. Yes, And I know you have the category. We started kind of with the category three. They were already uh, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Is that, so that's the size of the monster. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love at the beginning of the movie, it actually gave us a little, a little language lesson, what Jaeger means and what kaiju means they kind of done a thing that bothers me was they mix two languages together yeah because <laughs> you have jaeger as hunter in german and in kaiju german. is monster in japan <laughs> yeah it's a pretty international setup though i mean yeah it's, yeah it is i, I think it, it gives them a little bit of a pass but yeah yeah it's it's pretty neat and uh, yeah. yeah it's pretty now, neat. i know we're, we're we're reviewing the first movie but jamie have you seen uprising um, it's still good to look at. Uh-huh. Um, it's even dumber though. Okay, I've not seen it. So <laughs> I just I didn't know this one I'd seen, but I, I seen had the Blu-ray. This. It's Del Toro didn't come back, and most of the cast didn't come back. Okay, um, uh, even the ones that lived. <laughs> didn't come back. <laughs> okay, it's, it's wondering. okay. Yeah. Well, I've also seen on Prime. There is an Atlantic Rim. It's an animated thing. I I, I didn't even want to try that one yeah well anyway uh i know we're dealing with some giant monsters here and some giant robots uh i know uh gypsy danger was nuclear powered and you see that big red engine on the chest i really hope they had some some cooling fans in there to, to take care of them in the cockpit so let's go on to our fan section graphically novel three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel, three brothers who like each other but love comics. If there's one thing that doesn't bear thinking about, it's the nature of Jesse Danger's power. Yeah. (laughs) That makes no sense. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of there's there's a bit of that there's a bit of that, but you know we're not in our pan section. So let's Sam, uh, won't you take us out the gate uh, with with our fans? All right, you know Jamie alluded to this in his opening thoughts. The details in this movie, the look of the kaiju and the Jaegers. Um, you know, even though I think every one of the kaiju, there were certain traits uh, that were similar. They all had those things that made them unique, though. And I loved that aspect of it. And then when you got the Jaegers, you got all those gears and all the workings for these colossal mechs. And it looked good. You know, this wasn't, you know, this was 2013. I know it doesn't feel all that long ago. But, you know, the the stuff was good. The special effects were good here. It looked awesome. Uh, so I was just just really digging the effects and the details that they brought into this movie. Yeah, yeah, they did a. Uh, <laughs> I know too much about this movie. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> but Del Toro made the uh, the design team create like like over a hundred Jaegers and over a hundred Kaiju, and they would do like contests and debates and have votes on which ones got to be in the movie, and so so every uh, one of them had to be distinct. Well, nice. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Now, I noticed uh, too, you know, movies of this nature can really seem dated really fast with effects. And with me not seeing this movie previously or having any history with it, it looked amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. it looked really sharp, really fresh, uh, really, uh, really energetic. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think too, where, where, where the CD, even the CDs and the way the, the base is set up, the Shatter Dome, it's also unique and stylized looking. I think it helps it, you know, it prevents it from looking dated fast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, as much of a train wreck as last year was, you know, this movie was set in 2020. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what, what could have been more perfect? So, Jamie. It's funny. I was I watched this with my kids. My my youngest is a huge fan of Pacific Rim. We watched this over and over again. We'll just pop in the DVD and watch the battle scene sometimes. Um, but while we were watching this, they they connected those dots. Oh, it's 2020. And one of them looked at me and said, "I would have traded Kaiju for COVID." My 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 fan. Um, it was kind of a tie. Uh, Sammy stole half of my my tie there so uh so thank you um but i, I love the score in this movie uh it's and it's ramin jawadi it's not i shouldn't shock anybody he's the guy that did the first iron man score um it's great and it sets just perfectly the tone for the movie um it helps ratchet up the the fight the, the, the big epic battles they feel epic you know because and the, and the score helps it helps set the tone it helps set the uh, the mood and and like the grandeur of the fights is matched because it, you can feel it in the music. And it really, I think it adds a lot to it, to all the scenes. Like when I don't always like when scores are featured this prominently, but this score works so well with what we're seeing, what we're supposed to be thinking and feeling that yeah. um, I love it. And so I, the, the score I'm a, I'm a huge fan of. It's another Pacific Rim thing that I own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jamie, yeah the, I, the music and the sound design was, was really well done in this movie. It really brought you into the world. Sam, I'm sorry, but go ahead. See, I, I was just going to comment. I thought ACDC did the score for Iron Man. <laughs> 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 I remember those bits, yes. <laughs> <laughs> those are the ones I remember the most, I think. <laughs> Sam. <laughs> well, I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction with my fan. I mean, I know that we were going to have you know, great epic battles, and everyone have really cool monsters. A lot of a lot of science fiction, which I'm a huge fan of. But one thing that surprised me with this, especially on the second watch, and and I know that nothing gets really super deep in this movie, like you guys had mentioned, you know, when they're explaining the drift. You know, it just works. It's just got to work. You know, and uh, you know everything's just kind of glossed over, but. You really have some development there. I know Jamie was talking about you have a weight with each battle, and you know, and even with the characters, you had a weight with uh, with Beck. You know, where he had lost his brother and having to go back into the mech and face that. You had a weight with with Mako, and you and you realized her history as it was revealed with uh, with uh, you know Idris Elba's character of uh, Pentecost, Marshall Pentecost, um, and. And the battles that they faced, even with the other, you know, Jaeger jocks, uh, the it was it was really interesting. I think that, I thought they did a really good job with it, and that's something that they didn't really have to do, you know, when you have such a spectacle of these giant machines versus giant monsters, uh, you know. But they really tried, I think, and and did really well doing the character development. Uh. I, I agree. Um, <laughs> it's not a deep movie. No, but they do not, make you care about the people. Well, yeah, that's the, the thing. You know, it's not, it's not yeah. super deep, but you really feel for these guys. You really feel that the stakes. You know, and when you see, uh, you know, uh, Pentecost, you know, having to, you know, show the strength. You know, he has to show, you know, that that eighties, you know, action leader. You know, but then he's having these nosebleeds from the strain, you know, and, and the damage that he had taken, you know, when he, with when he had lost his mech battle, you know. Yeah. I agree. I'm in the bag for this movie. I, <laughs> <laughs> I would have nodded anything you all said on the fan section. <laughs> well, well I, I'm kind of interested for our pan section because Jamie's supposed to go first. And, uh, Jamie, why don't you run and see if you can even find a pan for this thing? Okay, since you've been through the kitchen and back, let's see what you've got. I, I do, I do have one. Um, it's and it's a weird complaint. Um, it's the science. Um, the science that some of it's interesting, and they don't explain it. 
Some of it they try to explain, and it's gobbledygook. There had to be some kind of balance <laughs> they could have found. I'm either left wanting more or wishing they hadn't told me as much as they did. <laughs> so, <laughs> and like, and then it doesn't always hold up. Like, you know, the drift, they have to be drift compatible. It's this big epic theme. You gotta have these weird stick fights to find out it's for drift compatible, which for the life of me, I can't understand. I read the entire, uh, like, you know, movie novelization just to find out why they were stick fights. <laughs> I know they were drift compatible. It never answered that, even the novelization. <laughs> but, but then later on, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Marshall Pentecost, like, I, I can be silent in the drift. I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> so there, but, there's but, times I'm, I'm rolling my eyes a little bit. Well, well, Jamie, in certain sci-fi fandoms, we just call that wibbly-wobbly Tommy-wommy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I prefer the technical term that Jamie used as gobbledygook. Um, <laughs> so. You know, you got to have the thingamabob to cover up the witch call it that connects to the doohickey that does the that does the, the jilly jang. So you know that that just works it right there. <laughs> Why then there's the whole thing with like you know when they do the EMP and then like they're like it's okay we can go in gypsy because she's analog. What are you talking about? Are you really trying to tell me there's nothing electronic on Gypsy Danger? What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess yeah. They said the the, the digital, but I guess you know, Chips Danger must <laughs> must still be running EP? off still still must be running off vacuum tubes instead of your circuit. <laughs> yeah, hey. it's Iron Giant. See, it's really the Iron Giant in disguise. <laughs> no, there's just a couple of those things where like I roll my eyes, you know. And then the, and there's not enough explanation of how the rift works. Like I'm super curious, but like where where are the kaiju coming from? You know, how does that work? Yeah, is it a portal to a different dimension? Is yeah. there like a capsule? You know, is there like a did they set up a homestead or in the just, Earth's crust? You know, or is it just a space bridge to somewhere else in our universe? Or is it a completely yeah. different dimension? I mean, we're never. And then the whole thing with the dinosaurs is just nonsense. Yeah, that was pretty funny. I was like, <laughs> okay, they could have just left it out. They tried it with the dinosaurs, but uh, yeah, it was, wasn't right. Yeah, there's a couple of times you just kind of have to roll your eyes like, okay, give it, get back to the mix, punching the kaiju. Yeah. Well, well you know, it, it's that conceit of dinosaurs as kaiju. You know, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I get where they were going. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with something that wasn't really well explained to with my pan. What was up with the kaiju black market? <laughs> I mean, it was cool and all, and I love to see Ron Perlman get some work, and he looks amazing on screen. But I mean, were were, were people getting half of it? Were they doing like medical treatments? It's really not that well explained. But I mean, you know, Charlie Day's character was all about getting in there. And, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, let's, let's find these, you know, black light um, hidden signs. And uh, and he just goes, yeah, I need to see, you know, so he just bring him right in, you know. <laughs> I need to see Ron Perlman's character. Oh, yeah, he's, he's in his back room. So they just <laughs> take him right in, you know. He found us. He must need to go back there. But, yeah, I, I didn't quite understand why that was such a thing, uh, you know, what, what they were doing with the black market, uh, you know understand it's alien technology uh, but it's really more biotech than anything mm -hmm. and but these guys had figured out a way to keep certain parts alive and harvest things even when this quote-unquote scientists could not <laughs> you know so some guy in the back of a in the back of a fish shop in chinatown you know is is you know they're keeping these skin parasites alive and harvesting brain tissue you know when uh when Burn Gorman and Charlie Day are having a hard time, you know, just uh, just keeping things going there, keeping the lights on, it seems like. <laughs> well, my, my, my take on that was, like, you know, humans do a lot of strange things. I bet that would exist. There would yeah. be a kaiju black market. Oh, yeah. Oh, humans yeah, are weird. for sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Entirely. I mean, just for the bone powder alone, right? <laughs> so. I mean, yeah, the bone powder must have been some... <laughs> It's something at this point. Um, you know, as far as my pain, you know, in our last episode, Heather commented 
that she needed more Cusack in High Fidelity. Well, that's kind of my pan in this. I need more mechs. I need more kaiju. I want to see more of them. See, I don't care about the people so much. I just want to see mechs and kaiju. (laughs) This is my same complaint about the Bay Transformers movies. I don't care about the people. I want to see Transformers. AVP. I don't want to see people. I want to see aliens and predators. Okay? All that other stuff, it's just just in the way. And and I wanted more kaiju and more mechs. Man, this would have been an A-plus for me if I added more kaiju and more mechs, man. (laughs) So what somebody needs to do is to take this movie... And then Uprising, just cut out everything that's not a kaiju fighting a mech. Yes. Or, or Jaeger, put it all together in one cut, and then mail it to Sammy. Yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I've been known to go through the Bay Transformers and fast forward to all the people parts. <laughs> just to watch the bots. <laughs> well, there, there, there were some acting choices in those uh, movies that, uh, you know, is what they, they were what they were. They were choices. <laughs> Michael Bay has an ethos. <laughs> and it was very on display. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. You want to give us awards? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's go. Take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime where Sammy, a.k.a. Comic Book Kid, takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast, One Thin Dot, focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents. Check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice, One Thin Dime. Are we recording later than usual? I think we're loopy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, something's going down. Um, we're just having a good time here. <laughs> well, speaking about a good time, uh, a, a, a performance in this movie that I thought was really good. Rinko Kakuchi played mm-hmm. Mako Mori. When you're standing beside Idris Elba, Charlie Hoonan, and all these other massive, macho, testosterone-laden gentlemen, and 120-foot-tall robots, and you can hold your own, and I've never seen you on screen before or since, I gotta give that girl a nod. <laughs> she, she slung some, some acting weight around. She had some chops. Uh, she did an excellent job. Uh, in uh, this whole spectacle, she she and she really made you care for her character. Um, you know, even the 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 young lady that played her when she was a child and the wreckage going through. I mean, you really wanted to, just really wanted to to rescue and take care of them. You know, it, that yeah, she, that was a really good character and really good performance. I had a backup, but that that was mine as well. And she's also the only person doing anything subtle in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Everybody else is like everybody else is just is just you know chest out barreling through, and she has you know you can see her having an inner battle, an inner dialogue and conflict. You know when everybody else is just like yeah, let's just go and destroy, and she's like, you know you can see some some thought going there. Uh, but my backup, I just want to mention, uh, Charlie Day steals a lot of scenes in this movie. I mean he's <laughs> he's over the top and he's ridiculous and he's manic and it's just fun. Uh, once again, nothing subtle. He's playing a stereotype, a caricature. But it's a fun caricature, and I like it. Oh, yeah. He just needed a very large whiteboard, and he would have been, he, he would have had everything he needed. <laughs> All right. Um, performance for me is Idris Elba. I mean, that is, he is a bad man. Um, and he works so well in this role as, as Pentecost. Uh, he's intimidating. Uh, he's exactly what this character needed. And, and what I love about Elba, he's such a, I guess, a versatile actor. A lot of people, when they think of Idris Elba, they think about these dramatic roles. 
But if you've ever seen him playing the washed-up DJ in Turn Up Charlie, um, it's just a, such a completely different role, and, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and then Heimdall, of course, uh, in in the Thor movies. So I mean, I just I just think the man can act. I, I will. I've always put my vote in Idris Elba as the next James Bond, but hey, we'll see. He is the fixed point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Sammy, you're next up on best scene. All right. So so I talked about uh, Idris Elba being intimidating, right? And my fa- the best scene for me has there's two reasons. There's two reasons I love this scene. One, don't you ever touch me again. <laughs> two, don't you ever touch me again. <laughs> I love that scene. Um you know, you could have cut the tension with a butter knife at that moment. And and Charlie Hunnam looked like he was a little intimidated there. And, and I just, I, I dug that, man. I just had a really fun time with that scene. He looked like he was physically shrinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looked oh. like he was three inches shorter by the end of the scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and, th- and this is the movie where I, you know, developed my love for Idris Elba. I mean, he's just, he, he owns... Whenever he's on screen, uh, he owns he owns the camera. Um, and my my scene is another one fe- that features him prominently. It's the um, the intro to the Shattered Dome. I, I just think so much gets done there with so little real estate. From the time they land with the helicopters and we establish that you know maybe Raleigh's got more going on because he find out that he knows Mandarin and he he has this you know playful little you know exchange with Mako. Um, and then the, the, we see the elevator ride. We meet the scientists. We see that they've got no budget. They're down to just two little nerds, you know, and they don't even like each other. Um, <laughs> and then we get the tour through the Shatterdome, and we see they're they're down to four Jaegers, you know, and there's this ragtag bunch. They don't have any budget, and you know all this kind of stuff. And and it's just brilliant filmmaking because it's just a couple of minutes long, and so much, so much of the groundwork is laid that we can just roll on after that and get started with the you know mixed punch of kaiju. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my favorite scene that deals with Mex punching Kaiju and Idris Elba, um, the uh, the final battle, um, especially when they're down sealing the breach, and you have uh, Idris Elba's sacrifice. You know, they're they're going to buy that time and then take out those mechs to give Gypsy Danger a chance to get in there. And you know, you can always find him in the drift. <laughs> you know that that that. Those, I mean, those battles were just so fun, and that would mean the climax. It was just, it was just really cool. <laughs> I did get a kick out of right before they get into the uh, the Jaegers. He's like, "Yeah, the suit." I remember being this tight. I'm like, yeah. "What are you talking about? <laughs> you're, dude, you're in shape, man. Come on, <laughs> whatever." Uh, but to stay on uh, the same strain there for best character, I've got Stacker Pentecost. I just, I love that guy. And he, he is the fixed point that this ragtag bunch needs, but he's also the fixed point that the rest of this, you know, crew needs, like the, the actors. They need him to work off of. And I think if, if, if there was a different actor in that role, I don't think this movie works as well. And, I, and at that point, I, th- I think even, even me, and, me and Dwayne would probably say, like, yeah, let's just do more Mexican kaiju fighting and maybe not so much with the people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> But but Idris Elba makes us care about what's happening in the Shattered Dome, what's happening, you know, to the people inside the Jaegers, and even he even plays well off of the nerds, not not just the other swaggering guys. Even these scenes with the nerds are interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, my uh, character is one of the nerds. Uh, I love uh, Burn Gorman. Anything that I've seen him in, but I'll tell you, the guy who really stole this for me was Charlie Day. His over the top just crazy just you know just completely going and that's where it ties into my keeping it 100 when i heard his voice i said i know that voice and i (laughs) and it took me about 0.8 seconds of digging and i said benny the astronaut (laughs) fighting with the computer voice recognition in the lego movie (laughs) deactivate the shields (laughs) 
<laughs> you want to see more episodes of Where Are My Pants? No! <laughs> it's just going on and on. I mean, it just at least, if you don't want to watch the Lego movie, which I would highly recommend that you do, at least YouTube that scene. You'll roll laughing. But yeah, when I heard his voice, I said, I know this guy. And just his, his doggedness, his want just to get in there. I mean, he's almost like this scientist speed freak. He's going to drift with the kaiju, you know. We got to, we got to mind meld with him. We got to make this happen. He was just so crazy and uh, just out there. And Burn Gorman's, uh, you know, like you're crazy and you're going to kill yourself. You know, just trying to bring him back down was so much fun. I loved his character. Charlie Day is my favorite character. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that will create a neural bridge from garbage and drift with kaiju. Garbage. Yeah, he had like a toilet. <laughs> Yeah, he had like a toilet seat and some duct tape, and, you know. And I think he had a, you know, it was like a sink stopper and a plunger. <laughs> Looked like an old, uh, you know, Doctor Who dialect there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to kind of feed a little bit off of what Dwayne said, and it's a little bit of a cheat, I know, but it's the combination of Newton and Got- Gottlieb together. That really makes both of those performances work so well because there's such contrasting versions of the nerdy scientist and, and the way they play off each other. And in turn, you know, even the, the, the friendship they eventually kind of have there towards at the end of the movie. I just I just think the combination of those two really work as great characters in so many of these scenes. Here we go. And and they're they're both back in the sequel, and they're they're the best part of the sequel. Okay. Oh, well, that may that may uh, determine a watch for it. Then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not even close. They are absolutely. It's worth it's worth watching to see what happens with those two guys in the next movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially after they both drifted with the catch. <laughs> 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 That, I'm sorry, I know it wasn't a funny scene, but I found myself laughing. <laughs> <laughs> just just their uh, reactions, their acting coming out of that. But anyway, uh, our, our next award is Best Quote. I'm leading off on that one. And and I'm sticking with uh, my, my best character. I'm sticking with Mr. Gaisler. Future, I'm sorry, fortune favors the brave, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and what sells it is the dude on the end. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you you would hear this in any movie, you know, in any series. Fortune favors the brave, dude. My favorite part was they got the quote wrong. Fortune favors the bold. <laughs> he gets the quote wrong, and then yeah. he throws a dude on the end. <laughs> yeah, he's insane. I love it. Well, I'm going to the other side of that coin with Gottlieb. No kaiju entrails over my side of the room. You know the rules every bloody day. It's incessant. <laughs> okay, I had four down and you didn't take any of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was hanging back and I was hoping y'all would check them off for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm gonna go. I have to. This has somebody has to say it. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do the obvious one. It's at the end. Stacker Pentecost. Today, today, at the edge of our hope, at the end of our time, we have chosen not only to believe in ourselves but in each other. And I can't do it or Silva. Today, there is not a man or, nor woman in here that shall stand alone. Not today. That today we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today we are canceling the apocalypse. Fuck! That. Somebody had to pick that. <laughs> Leave it to Jamie to go all serious. <laughs> it's the quote. It's the one quote people know from this movie. Canceling yes. the apocalypse. I I just have this really bad habit of if there is a nerdy character in any movie, I am automatically drawn to that character. So <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say a real short one that I th- this is what I thought Sammy was gonna pick. No. This is from Golly. 
Numbers do not lie. Politics, poetry, promises, these are lies. Numbers are the closest we get to the handwriting of God. Mm, I like it. I like it. Felt like a Sandy quote to me. I was shocked you didn't pick it. <laughs> <laughs> the math teacher in me likes it. <laughs> well, we know he treasures neatness more and no intros on his side of the room. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, everybody's got that rule. I mean, we all know that one. <laughs> all right. oh. Our next award is Best Battle, and there's lots of options. And Sammy, what'd you oh. go with? Um, you know, I, I went right off the right off the bat that beginning battle between Gypsy Danger and Knifehead. Um, when, when, when Knifehead rams that horn through Gypsy, it's just so dynamic, and just the the I guess the so the emotional context. That was one place that emotional context between, you know, the. Raleigh and his brother, I just it just worked so well, and it was so cool. Like I said, I loved it, just how dynamic that was when you saw that horn go through and the arm comes off, and it's just like, oh yes. So I was in right away. Yeah, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. That's exactly what I have down, and I don't even think there's a there's a backup for that because so much rides on that first battle. If if you don't buy that first battle, if you don't buy how these things work mechanically and in action, this movie doesn't work. So that first battle has to nail it. And and I really think that they did. Admirable wrong answers. <laughs> <laughs> so the Battle of Hong Kong, man. I mean, come on. Like, two of the Jaegers get completely wiped out. There's Kaiju all over the place, and eventually Kaiju bits all over the place. I mean, there's a scene where Gypsy Danger is using a tanker ship as a katana. <laughs> How do you not pick that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know. It just, like I said, just that first battle I had to sell you. You know, if it doesn't, if and if it doesn't work, it it's just... More, it's more emotionally powerful, but... Right. It's hard to talk like, I mean, one of the kaiju grew wings and flew Gypsy Danger into the sky. That was cool, too, when, it, when <laughs> yep. the arms came up and the wings came out. It's yeah, like, oh, and then yes. you got, like, the little whip sword thing that comes out. I mean. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> kind of like Voltron doing the sword. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. yeah. And we've got the stuff with Newt and Hannibal Chow going on in the background of all that. Newt stupidly telling everybody in the bunker that they're chasing him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a great scene. <laughs> it was so great. It was so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> to be a scientist, he was so dumb. Uh, <laughs> Why would you look around a tire of people cowering for you like, they're after me. <laughs> By the way, Forgot to mention this on my way in. <laughs> All right. Well, our last award is uh, Best Jaeger slash Kaiju. Jamie? I'm going to go with a Best Kaiju, and it's Knifehead. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the coolest one. I, I like the one that's kind of like a silverback gorilla. Uh, that one's a, that one's a, that one's a cool one. The way it moves is cool. Yeah. Knifehead has the coolest design. He's got that big arrow looking arrowhead thing on his on his head, and he, the way he's he uses it, it's not just he does not just for protection. He uses it as a weapon. And he tears off Gypsy's arm, um, and something about it, the way its mouth worked was really kind of creepy and intimidating. I just I, I, Knifehead was the one that just kind of like, I yeah I really would not want to be on a fishing boat and roll up on on that kaiju especially. See, yeah. you mentioned mine. Mine is leatherback. <laughs> all right. Because those ape like movements, the way that he moves, right? It makes me even more excited for Kong versus Godzilla because, <laughs> you know, this is eight years later. That monkey's going to be awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love leatherback just because of those movements. Yeah. Uh, and I like, I think with each of the kaiju, it's almost like they patterned the movements on some type of recognizable animal, you know, or something at least. 
uh, you know, I think Knifehead had almost a shark look to him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, le- you know, Leatherback had that, that ape movements, you know, so I think all of that was kind of there. So, but yeah, Leatherback would have been my favorite kaiju. Well, I'm going with the hero. I'm going with Gypsy Danger, uh, the Jaeger. Uh, you know, it really, of all the Jaegers, I think it, it had the most classic design. You know, it really felt like, you know, one of these established mechs that we're, that we're already familiar with. You know, kind of has the uh, the visor, like almost, uh, you know, like a, like a, you know, a, knife, a knight's helmet or like the halo helmet or something. Um, it really seemed functional all the other ones to me felt kind of clunky and weird but i just i just loved the design of gypsy danger and it the functionality of it seemed like it was really natural and could really work i, I thought uh, gypsy danger had a kind of a, a vaguely like samurai look to it yeah it made, it bit, yeah. gave it an extra an extra little bit of cool sheen on there yeah, yeah, it'd be cool. I mean, and like you and like you mentioned a little bit ago, Jimmy. I mean, it had it had the 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 whip sword, you know, the 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 kind of mechanical yeah. sword that, that was that was loose and would work like a whip, and it would you know solidify to lock into like an actual rigid sword. I mean, it has a lot of really neat, really cool weaponry. You know, he, here's my thing though: just Gypsy Danger looks so cool, but we got those crappy looking Sentinels in the X Men movies. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> clearly it can be done. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they they can't all be winners, but you know, a guy who definitely is a winner uh, in my book, and I think most uh, here at the end of the world, we have Archeanu coming to cancel the apocalypse. Um, I don't know if he's going to use uh, the, the phone booth or if he's going to use his matrix powers or if he's just going to John Wick everybody to death. Um, you know, let's see him go John Wick on a kaiju. That could be interesting. But, you know, he has to connect to this movie. Maybe there will be a part three and he'll play a Pentecost Jr. I don't know. So, Jamie, where does Keanu connect? Got to watch the sequel. It may already be a Pentecost Jr. Mm. Um, <laughs> Keanu couldn't could be in a Pacific Rim movie. He wouldn't need the Meg. Right. <laughs> uh, so as I was preparing this week for the Keanu Connection, I noticed that a couple of actors on in this movie and in um, Keanu's <laughs> filmography had had amazing individual years. Well, they've had like one or two movies, like, I mean, two or more movies come out that were amazing. And I, I started thinking about that, you know, who, who all's had that kind of year? It's kind of an amazing thing. So I did some digging around. Keanu himself has had a year like that. In 1991, he had both Point Break and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. It's a pretty good year. Uh, Also in 1991, Bruce Willis had both The Last Boy Scout and Hudson Hawk. And yes, I think those are both good movies. Uh, In 1968, Steve McQueen was in both The Thomas Crown Affair and Bullet. 1995, Brad Pitt had seven and 12 monkeys. That's a year for the ages. Uh, 87, Michael Douglas had Fatal Attraction and Wall Street. 97, Nicolas Cage had the classics, Con Air and Face Off. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a single calendar year. But Tom Hanks is the champ of great years. He's had multiples of these. 93, he had Sleepless in Seattle and Philadelphia. 95, Toy Story and Apollo 13. 99, Toy Story 2 and The Green Mile. 2002, The Road to Perdition, a forgotten classic, and Catch Me If You Can, same year. Well, in Pacific Rim, Rinko Kikuchi played Mako Mori. Well, in 2013, she was also having one of those years. She was in Pacific Rim, and she played the witch in 47 Ronin, starring our beloved Keanu. Rinko Kikuchi and her glorious 2013 is this week's Keanu Connection. Awesome, I dig it. Yep, she was the first one I noticed myself. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to check this 47 Ronin out. <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch. That. I actually I haven't seen that one either. It's uh, there's a there's a couple of uh, ones that get forgotten uh, in the yeah. Keanu filmography that I, I know I 
know about it. No one else does. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, Jamie, you could probably list them. <laughs> Maybe in order. Maybe. <laughs> Jamie's going to be a Keanu savant here pretty soon. Um, well, when the, when the Keanu Presidential Library is established, I'll be the curator. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, gentlemen, uh, our listeners, I hope you have enjoyed uh, this review of Pacific Rim. Um, I had a blast watching it, especially, you know, being able to discover this movie for the first time. I love it when we're able to do this, uh, you know, and, and I love even seeing the other guys' reaction when they're discovering a movie, too. So hopefully, uh, you know, they are enjoying this for me. One other thing we are discovering this week is what our next movie review is going to be. So we have our uh, dice to roll, gentlemen. So, Jamie, uh, are you prepared to do the honor, sir? Yeah, here we go. (laughs) Not Hawk the Slayer. Here we go. And we got a nine. Nine. Number nine, Rambo First Blood. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Speaking of machismo, here we go. (laughs) Well, a movie that started a franchise. um, I I believe this uh, one was very different from subsequent movies, if if memory serves correct. It's been about a long minute. It's been a while since I've seen this, and I'm really interested to revisit. Rambo First Blood. So... um, we're just now discovering this, so uh, I'm not sure where you can find it at, but I'm sure the uh, the interwebs or the Walmarts, the Amazons uh, of the world will have it. So as we prepare to watch Rainbow First Blood, Jamie, what are we going to do? Going to be very kind to the Vietnam veterans we meet as we keep it nerdy. <laughs> <laughs>